Hey, 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 it's Pastor Mike. Okay, it's not. It's Amber. But if it's been a while since you've listened to Pastor Mike on the Time of Grace podcast, it's time to check in. Pastor Mike is relevant and real and has more energy than anyone I know. So check out Time of Grace with Pastor Mike Novotny wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to Little Things with Amber L.B. Swenson. We are starting a brand new four-week series today that I am super, super excited about. And we are going to use the word HOPE as an acronym. Hey guys, it's Amber, wife, mother, warrior, type A child of God. Here at Little Things, we examine everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for joining me. And we're we're talking about hope because these are things that I want to encourage you to keep going, to stay in the game, don't give up. You're doing okay, just to be sort of the applause behind you, cheering you on, saying you can still do this. So H is going to stand for heroes. And we're going to take a look at the heroes of faith and what they can teach us. So I hope you read the Bible because you will learn so, so much from the heroes of faith. But mostly what you learn as you read the Bible is that their lives were extremely messy. I am so grateful of two things. I am so grateful that God put the truth in the Bible. He didn't make the people in the Bible, the the heroes of faith, the people that he used, he didn't make them out to be these perfectly sculpted people who always did the right thing and said the right thing and knew what to do. No, he kept them as they were, flaws and all. And the second thing I am super happy about is that the Bible is already written, so I don't have to worry about my life ending up on the pages of it, because I can't imagine how embarrassing it would be to know that Christians everywhere were reading about all my flaws, all my mistakes, the stupid decisions I made. And so I am so very grateful that God put those things in that other people did so that I can learn and so that I can be encouraged. Look at Abraham. He had this crazy, amazing, amazing faith. God called him out of his homeland. He told him to go to a new land that Abraham didn't know. And Abraham left it all. He became this super rich guy. He was generous. He is shown to be bigger than the arguments when his nephew Lot has these servants and Abraham's servants and Lot's servants and their herdsmen are all fighting because they've grown so rich and their animals have produced and there isn't enough land for all of them. Abraham is the bigger person and he just says, Lot, pick pick where you're going to go. Doesn't matter to me. If you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. No big deal. So much bigger, right? I'm not sure I could do that. I'm not sure I wouldn't be like Lot. That's the best land. So really, you want to go over there and you want to send me over here. What if the land doesn't produce? Or where are my wells? Or 
uh, nice for you to treat me that way when I've brought you along. I can be so petty at times, but Abraham just comes off at first like this amazing, mature, godly person who trusts God and has it all together. But then we see these moments of doubt. Twice he went to a different land. There was famine in land. He had to go somewhere else. And twice when he entered this new country, he said Sarah was his sister. He didn't really trust that if he gave the truth about who Sarah was, that he wouldn't be killed. And then when God had promised him a son and he didn't see it happening, when Sarah suggested, hey, I think we need to help God out, he thought that was probably the best case scenario. So he has this crazy obedience at times, but he also has these moments of doubt and weakness. And even when he has Isaac and Isaac is this loved son and he cherishes him and God comes to him and says, Hey, I want you to sacrifice your son. Abraham didn't argue. He got up and he left to go to the mountain where he was supposed to go to sacrifice his son. He was about to follow through. Like, I'm not sure I could do that. The point being that God showed us the good and the bad, right? We see the weakness. We see the strengths. I don't know how familiar you are with Judah, but if it's been a while since you've read the book of Genesis, you might want to check it out again. Because in Genesis 37, we have this account of Joseph going to check on his brothers. And the brothers see him coming and they're like, oh, there's that dreamer. Let's kill him. Let's get rid of him. And Reuben thinks, well, maybe I can just save him. So maybe we'll throw him in a cistern and then I can rescue him later. But Judah comes up with this plan. Judah says, hey, here's some Midianites coming. Let's just sell him. Let's just be rid of him. And the other brothers, for whatever reason, think that that's a great idea. So they sell him. They're out, and he's gone. They take his coat. They dip it in blood. They tell their father this tale about he must have been killed by wild animals. And it seems like they've gotten away with it. The very next chapter, we're told about Judah. This Judah. Judah who said, let's just sell Joseph. Let's just get rid of him. What did Judah do? Well, he went and married a Canaanite woman and he had three sons. And the first son married a woman named Tamar. But we're told the man was wicked, so God put him to death. So Judah gave his second son to Tamar. Now, apparently son number two was not a whole lot better than son son number one, because son number two thought, you know, If I have a child with Tamar, it's not really going to be my son. It's going to be a son in the first son's name. So he decided to have sex with Tamar. That was okay. But he didn't want to get her pregnant. So God put that son to death too. Well, at this point, Judah's thinking, clearly there's something wrong with Tamar. It couldn't be my sons. 
So it has to be her. (laughs) Does any of this sound familiar? Do you know anybody at all who it is never their child's fault? It's the teacher's fault. It's the coach's fault. What is wrong with that police officer? It's the boss's fault. It's the same old thing, right? But the story gets even crazier. So Judah decides, you know, I don't think I want to give son number three to this Tamar woman because he could end up dead too. So I'm just going to tell her to go back to her father and son number three isn't old enough yet anyway. So we'll just wait. Well, Tamar realizes that Judah is really not showing any signs of having any intention of giving son number three to be with her. And so she hears that Judah is coming her way. So she went and sat in a public place with a veil over her face. And Judah came along and thought that she was a prostitute. So he asked to sleep with her and she said, well, what will you give me if I do? And he said, I will give you a young goat. And she said, well, what guarantee do I have? And he said he would leave his staff in his seal with her. So she went with him and she got pregnant. And three months later, he found out that she was pregnant and he decided in his anger that she should be burned for adultery. She presented the staff and the seal and said, well, this is the man who got me pregnant. And then he realized he was the one who had gotten his daughter-in-law pregnant. Yeah, that's Judah. Okay, we're not done with Judah yet. So Judah sold Joseph. It was his great idea. Then we have this whole ordeal with his children and his daughter-in-law and this craziness. Okay, so 13 years goes by with Joseph being gone, and then there's seven years of prosperity in Egypt where Joseph is in charge, second in command of Egypt, and then there's two years of famine. And all of a sudden, Jacob sends his boys to get grain from Egypt. And they run into Joseph, but they don't know about it because 22 years has passed and Joseph is speaking Egyptian and he doesn't look like a Hebrew anymore. So Joseph accuses his brothers of being spies. And in order to ensure that they come back to him, he imprisons Simeon and says, unless Benjamin comes back, you will get no more grain from Egypt. Now, listen, there's a severe famine in the land. So if they don't get grain from Egypt, they're not getting grain from anywhere. So they go back home. They tell their, bro- their father, Jacob, listen, unless we send Benjamin with us, unless he comes with us, we're not getting any more grain. And by the way, Simeon's in prison. Well, Jacob, hymns and haws, he doesn't really want his boys to go. He certainly doesn't want to lose Benjamin on top of Simeon, on top of Joseph. But when finally there is no more food, when it's getting low, he says, well, you got to go back. And here is where Judah steps up. And Judah says, listen, dad, I guarantee I guarantee that Benjamin will come back. I will put my life on the line to make sure that he comes back. Now, if you're like I am, 
And if you've read the previous chapters in Genesis, and you're not quite sure what has happened in the 22 years since all this took place, other than the fact that his sons were wicked and he slept with his daughter-in-law, you might think that that promise to his dad doesn't carry a whole lot of weight. But Jacob let him take Benjamin. And again, Joseph put his brothers through a series of tests. And his cup, he put in Benjamin's bag and then accused Benjamin of stealing it. And when it came down to it, and when he said that Benjamin was going to have to stay as his slave in Egypt, Judah stepped up and said, nope. Take me instead. I will stay in his place. But I promised my father that Benjamin would go back home to him. We see change. Judah, you might remember, as Jacob was dying, he got a blessing. That's pretty familiar to most of us. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. Yeah, that Judah. He was in the line of the Savior. Why did I tell you all of this? Why do you need to know all this craziness? Because God wanted us to know that our faith heroes struggled. They struggled, their spouses struggled, their children struggled, and sometimes the bravest thing that you can do is to just keep going. One foot in front of the other, praying, trusting, asking God to help us to forgive our sins, to work this out, smooth out this situation. I don't know how Simeon's going to get out of prison, God, but I am trusting in you. I don't know how Benjamin's going to come back to me, God, but I am trusting in you. I don't see an end to this mess, Lord. But I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. I don't know how this whole situation is going to end, but I know what I need to do today. And that's good enough. Recently, I reconnected with several friends in ministry over a two-week period. It was just uncanny, really, how I saw one at a conference and then Another reached out and asked if we could have a phone call and almost simultaneously another one reached out. And anyway, long story short, I was 10 minutes into a phone call and I went, I need this. I need to be hearing from my Christian friends. I need to know that they too are going through struggles, that they too are walking one day at a time. By faith. The heroes of faith are our support system. Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the faith chapter, and the writer of Hebrews recalls the faith of Abel and Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, and then he lists a whole bunch of other people who he can't even get into their story. And then he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And the note in my study, study Bible says this, 
The imagery suggests an athletic contest in a great amphitheater. The witnesses are the heroes of the past who have just been mentored in chapter 11. They are not spectators, but inspiring examples. They bear testimony to the power of faith and to God's faithfulness. Because of these heroes of faith, we are told to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Just imagine Judah in heaven right now going, you will get through this. This seems like the worst case scenario. You don't see the other side of this. God is bigger. Imagine Abraham and Sarah and Isaac going, it's okay to not know where God is leading you right now. Or, yep, I've gone ahead of God too, and I had to suffer some consequences, and I know what you're going through. Or, yeah, when dad expected more of me, than I even knew what to do with when he tied me to that altar. I just had to pray to God. And God spared my life. The heroes of faith, all those people in the Bible that God allowed their stories to be told, they are like the biggest crowd of cheerleaders standing in heaven saying, you can survive. You can get through this. Don't give up. Keep going. Put your faith in God. Throw off the things that are slowing you down, that are keeping you from the life you're supposed to have. Just keep going. I recently came across a quote from Arthur Ashe. It says, true heroism is remarkably sober, very undramatic. It is not the urge to surpass all others at whatever the cost, but the urge to serve others at whatever the cost. You might not feel like much of a hero right now. Heroism looks like teaching Sunday school. Week after week after week. Going back, especially after that bad week when everybody was yawning and nobody seemed like they were paying attention and you thought, Why did I even bother preparing a lesson today? It looks like encouraging a widow or continuing to train your children, even though it seems like they're not paying attention. Heroism looks like taking care of elderly parents and hanging with the friend who is going through a really, really rough season. None of these things look particularly heroic day in and day out. But staying through it all, staying there and staying the course, even when it gets rough, that's why the heroes of faith were commended. And we can do that too. One foot in front of the other, second by second, minute by minute, today. You can do it. The heroes of faith are cheering you on. This has been Little Things, because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things.
When I go to a restaurant or our family goes on vacation, I love to leave reviews. I want other people to find the good stuff and or avoid what might be a waste of time. If you're a faithful listener, would you rate and review little things? There's so much vying for time and attention and reviews and ratings really do make a difference as to what people see. Let me thank you in advance. And don't hesitate to reach out. If you have a suggestion, I am so happy to hear from you. Thanks for being here.